What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Here at Making Movies is Hard, we want to express our support for the WGA strike as well as the SAG-AFTRA strike. We encourage our filmmaker comrades to look into how best they can be allies for the good fight. Please go to WGACONTRACT2023.org to support the cause. Also, please check out SAGAFTRA.org for additional resources. Making movies is hard, but casting for your movie doesn't have to be. With Casting Calls America, you can post your open roles for free in over 30 local markets nationwide. And when you post your roles, they will automatically post to IMDb Pro to get even more eyes on your project. All actor submissions are delivered to your user-friendly dashboard, making your casting process easy. You can even search our actor databases and invite actors you're interested in to audition to your project. Actors pay a small monthly fee and have all open roles delivered to their inbox each day. Get your project started today. It's casting made easy at castingcallsamerica.com. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, and Tubi. I'm Liz Manishaw. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life. I'm currently making others, including a horror comedy called Best Friends Forever. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage the creative distribution initiative at Sundance. This week, we welcome writer-director Jeff Ryan on the show to talk about their movie Mean Spirited and what it took to get this movie made. After that, we play another round of You're the Expert. But first, Liz, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. And I really didn't prepare anything to say for this one at all. I'm doing well. I think that... Not enough people know about how painful pregnancy is, so I could go into that, but I don't think it's the most entertaining topic. I mean, like, we could talk about acid (laughs) reflux for the next five minutes, but why? Mm -hmm. Why should we? Why? What else? Can we talk about my love for the movie Possession? Yeah. Did we talk about that online or offline? Because you did mention this recently to me. That Man, I don't even know. It's worth mentioning again. (laughs) Everyone should go see Possession. And then I think I'm just in the weird spot of, like not wanting my baby to leave my body, but not wanting the body, the baby to be in the body either. Mm, I want the baby to be half in and half out. How are you? I am well. I am well. I've been reading a lot of Twitter lately of actors talking about the strike and writers talking about the strike and things and seeing lots of interesting opinions on stuff. Like some people are, you know, canceling their subscriptions to all the streamers. And some people are like not going to movies in the theater. Some people are going to movies in the theaters. Like, what do you think? Oh, my gosh. Don't do that. Support movie theaters, please. For God's (laughs) sakes. These poor movie theaters don't need another reason that you're not attending movies in their theaters. No, we should support film. We should support art. I, t- why why cut off your foot to save the toe or I don't what is that expression this is not the expression I this is I, like please don't ever quote me as that be the expression <laughs> but, but like cut off your toe to save the someone out there is yelling what the expression is <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but the but my point is like we should be making art we should be supporting artists we can be cranky at the streamers we can pick it 
we cannot participate in shows that will directly benefit them but that doesn't mean we can't go to the movies that's crazy that doesn't mean we can't write our own personal projects please continue writing and making art i i just don't people are being overly paranoid to their own detriment right now i think yeah it was also funny. I saw something when an actor was like basically promoting their show without promoting their show. Like, you know, it's a certain time right now, but there's a certain thing that I'm in that's on a certain network that is very cool. And uh, I hope people are checking out, even though I can't really talk about it. <laughs> they want people to see their work. I can't fault them for that. Like, I. Yeah. I just I think it should be voluntary. You know, it's like I think the issue is when you're contractually obligated to do something and your union doesn't want you to abide by those contractual obligations. But if you voluntarily want to do something, I I, I want people to be able to yeah. cheerlead their work because they're so proud of it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I feel like for me personally, I just I don't think I can do it because there's just too many things that I want to watch that are coming out soon. And then also like Barbie Heimer. Know, is it just Barbie Heimer? Well, no. Uh, it's actually <laughs> the, the, the you know, great British Bake Off Professionals <gasps> that's coming out on 726. What? Wait, uh, have you and I not talked about my obsession with Great British Baking Show? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. Like we watch, we're, we're, you know, terribly obsessed with it over at this house. We watch every single spinoff. I've never watched the professionals. Thing. I've oh, never. Oh, you should watch the professionals. They have what? a first season. Right, well, it's actually, I think it's like the fourth season, but it's the first season that they allowed on Netflix. So like the other ones are, are British, but uh, yeah, Liam Charles is, is the host. And then they have these <gasps> two. Fa- yes, Liam, everyone's favorite. I love Liam. You know, Liam. and then like the two judges are these really entertaining fun fancy people who are just like super like you know it's it's all about like high end like uh, stuff it's not it's not it's not about like just the great you know home baker it's like yeah. here here's the best like professional team of like pastry chefs who are going to make the most best badass thing. So it's like the same kind of show, but like a very, very different version of it. But Paul and Prue are not on it. And Noel Fielding isn't on it. And Matt Lucas isn't on it. See, this is like, those are the people that I'm in it for. But Liam, but Liam Charles is, and like he, he's the one who judges on the kids British Bake Off, which I don't know if you watched the kids I tried watching that. I couldn't get through it. I will admit that wasn't for me. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, I watched all the kids ones. I watched the professionals ones. We we watch y'all mall it's all you know i just I mean, rewatch. I, I rewatch the original i'm rewatching the yeah. original right now i love it so much it's so funny because like this is like the great british bake-off season right so like professionals is going to come out and yeah. it's going to be like in september or whatever it's going to be the real show and then <gasps> it'll be the holiday show so oh, it's, it's like we're, we're, we're ramping up into the the great british bake-off season which i love you just made me so happy i didn't realize any now i have something to tide me over First of all, so the professionals. Yeah. Well, I and hope I you like it. I mean, if you didn't like the kids one, like I'm like, I, I don't like know. Are you gonna Are you gonna like this one? Like, I'm in it, it for Noel. No one else likes Noel the way I love. I love. Oh, building, Noel's so. great. Noel's yeah. fun. But yeah. uh, I will watch the professionals, and I definitely will look forward to watching the new season. Yeah. Oh, so good. But what people should also do. <laughs> is they should check out our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash podcast. This is the way the show will continue to thrive and survive and 
exist even after 444 episodes or whatever we're up to now as far as in the in the in the can it's a lot of episodes but we need to keep going so this is the way that you guys can support us so and thanks to everybody who's on there we have more supporters than we ever had and we have more money coming in for the show than we've ever had before so thank you all for your support also, don't forget to check out Jambox.io. They're a new royalty-free music and sound effects company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. Their composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood-level films, working with directors like Michael Bay and Martin Scorsese, or global brands like DJI. They even offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is pretty awesome. But without any more delay, here's our chat with Jeff Ryan. Can you give us the elevator pitch for Mean Spirited? Oh my gosh, it's been a while since I've okay. had to do that. Yes, Mean Spirited is kind of a satire on social media, and it's a bit of uh, in the style of a vlog. So it's told through the story of a YouTuber's vlog, and basically him and his friend that have been estranged for years. They were childhood friends, and one of them went off and became famous. And he started the other one started a YouTube channel, and basically the famous friend invites him and a group of friends to his Poconos resort mansion and when they go there they all slowly become possessed by demons and start kind of tearing some shi beep up can you curse on this yes okay shit up <laughs> Sorry. how many days did you shoot we shot for i believe 14 days nice and I think we had one day of pickups, but that was just like me and two other people. What can you say about the budget? I can say that it was over. It was six figures, but like barely over. Okay. I have questions about that. Uh, what was the origin of the idea? The origin of the idea was almost everything that happens in the movie actually kind of happened in real life. <laughs> minus like the demons stuff. <laughs> but I went on before I got married. I went on a bachelor party with some friends and I went to like a waterfall to cliff jump. I went to some strange house where we watched like crazy cult documentaries and it felt very weird and dark. And then it was just a weird weekend. And I basically kind of just outlined all of these weird events that happened to us and wrote a like small horror movie. But we kind of made this movie because of COVID. Mm -hmm. I was actually planning on doing a different movie at the time. And then when COVID hit, everything shut down and we were like, okay, what can we do for like no money and with just a bunch of people in the woods and... I wrote this script initially in seven days. Wow. It was one of the most horrifying like writing experiences I've ever had where I just for 14 hours a day, I just literally sat and just wrote. I had like no conscious like negative thought about it. I just took a scenario and just kept going like in the weeds with the characters. And then it was awful. Like after seven days, it was a really bad script, but it was like the bones enough to be like, cool, we have something. Let's like, I brought my friend Joe on, who's a producer and writer on this and Joe Adams. And he kind of was like super gracious. And we just together went through it page by page and just redid it. I have questions about that. Well, how long did you spend working on the film from that like writing spree to its release? So like you said it was a COVID film, but can you uh, bring in months and years if possible with regard to the process? Yeah. So we a few friends and I got word that there might be some financing at a company that went under due to like some politics stuff that happened with the company. I literally know no details other than the company shut down. So that money went away. <laughs> 
But I got word that there's maybe like a little over six figures for a movie. So I wrote the script in seven days, put together like a treatment very quickly and thought we would like pitch it. And then as I was finishing it, like the company went under and I was like, okay, cool. Well, we have this stuff now. So for the time I started writing that till the time we premiered, it was like a year and two months. Wow. It was extremely fast. Wow. And oh, okay, I'll ask my other question later. And if you could change one thing about the film in any way, what would it be? I mean, it's so easy to go back and like wish you could change stuff. So I'll answer the question. But I also am like a firm believer of like, you know, it is what you think you can do your best in the moment. But I I would probably, I guess I would maybe change the post process because I edited the film and it, I have to get like wrist surgery from it. So it's like not, I've edited all three of my features. And this time we gave a credit to Bryce Levy, who's like the character in the movie because it's kind of like an inside joke. And and I, yeah, I have like these like dots in my wrist now that have to get removed. <laughs> it's like, so I would definitely just hire someone and just like deal with it and not do it. Okay. Usually at this point, by the way, Ulrich's not going to be able to make it. So you're stuck with me and Perfect. I'm going to grill you. Well, you've made three features too. No, I've just made two. You two. You're me. about to make a third. I'm going to make a third eventually if it ever happens. Oh, you will. That's... Yeah. I mean, sorry, I will. Yeah. But usually we take a step back. We talk about origin story for the filmmaker, but you've said so many intriguing things just in the past two minutes that I have to kind of drill in a little bit. So going going with the the six figure situation. So you heard about this company that may have had allocated some money for a feature. You catered your entire pitch and the script to them. They dropped out, but yet somehow you were able to either find one or multiple partners to match the resources that you were looking for. Can you go into that a little Correct. bit more? Yeah, of course. I I love talking about this stuff because it's probably the hardest part of it. And it's like never the same. And it's always yeah. just as hard. And I think like every every filmmaker I meet like wants like the secret of like how you raise money. And it's like, well, I don't know. That's not my bag. And I still somehow try and do it. And yeah, I mean, the money, we just set dates. Hmm. And like, I'm a big believer of that. It's really stressful, like not good for your health. But like, I think anyone who's like made movies kind of, you you know, I'm sure you can attest to it too, is like by picking this imaginary date of like, we're starting in a year. We're like, you know, August 14th, that's first day of production. And then you kind of can like work backwards from there. And I just worked backwards. I just started asking every person I knew. Joe started asking every person he knew. Then we, in talks with one of my friends, he was super interested in like the movie making process. We had so many different conversations about it. And he kind of came on as a producer and he and I have been friends for a long time, but he put some money in and then he put it in crypto and we were like why would you do that and then it tripled <laughs> overnight and we we're like take it out that's awesome <laughs> and so it was kind of this weird thing where like that little bit of money that got tripled was like it turned into like a decent amount and we were like okay this feels doable right like we can let's just try and get piece by piece like so this is complicated to explain on a podcast but like i had a friend who or i have a friend who writes code mm -hmm. for a company so he and I wrote this JavaScript to do this email almost application that I could take a thousand emails and I can write individual emails to each person with like a click of a button. But it also follows up on the same chain, which is like a big deal. So if you're cold emailing someone and like you ever get spam, it's always like a new email. It's like, hey, just following up. And you always yeah. can tell because it's not like the number two on the email. So he wrote a code that basically finds the old email, replies within that. And it's like a 90% hit rate oh that gosh. we had for this movie. So I was asking everyone just for like little bits of money here and there. And it kind of just yielded enough to do it. That's brilliant. That's yeah, brilliant. I can't take credit. My friend John is brilliant. And no, but like just that, the, just even that you're, first of all, that you're sharing that. And second of all, that that was. 
because I because all I do is tell people how important email marketing is or just writing a good email is oh like one gosh. of the most important things you could do with your day. <laughs> yeah. And you basically doubled down on that theory on that practice to fundraise. Well, I, it is. I guess I, I should clarify. I actually did this. It's very weird. My first movie, I released second because of music rights issues, but mm. because I was releasing it so late, people told me I couldn't get reviews for Rotten Tomatoes because it was like five years after the festival premiere. Yeah. And I like kind of gave everyone the middle finger. I was like, well, like I'll show you. And I, that's when my friend John and I actually made the, the app, not for this project. So it's to clarify, we made it then because I was like, I'm going to get every Rotten Tomato reviewers email. I'm going to do this thing. And it worked. I got like 15 people to review it. Oh my gosh. And it's only because like, I think email marketing is so important, but it's also, they don't have to review your movie because they, can review a studio movie so like i just made fun of myself in my emails i would just right. make jokes completely just like dismissing why they would even want to review this yes and i asked them to watch five minutes of it while they're like folding the laundry and if they don't yes. like it throw the remote against the wall and i'll pay for new batteries and like stuff like that and people would respond like this is hilarious this email just cracked me up like i'll watch it and it's not 100% successful, but it was like, no. you know, it worked. Nowadays, I, it's harder. So. I completely get that. Oh, you know, Alric and I receive a lot of pitch emails for the podcast. And then I used to be a critic. So I used to have people ask me to review their films. And it, it's so impersonal. It's always a template. It's always a bunch of bullshit, humble brags, really dense paragraphs that are hard to weed through. And I would completely understand how humor is effective. And I really appreciate you sharing that with everyone. Okay. Uh, ah, okay. You wrote it in seven days. There, There's more to talk about there. The wrist thing. Uh, <laughs> I we think, can spare everyone that. That's... Well, I guess this begs a certain question about pulling revenue from one film to the other. So this is your third feature in how many years? In seven years, I guess. Yeah. So that's astounding, right? That's like a really good odds for indie filmmaking. You should probably know that, but may you maybe already do. Are you always starting fresh? It sounds like you have some overlap of teammates or are you, in terms of cast and crew, are you pulling people together from project to project? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes like like our first movie we made, we made for no money and somehow the movie has made like 40 times all the other movies. And I don't know why. I guess it's just like hit like a cult. This is mass hysteria. Fun. No, our, our first movie actually, Youth Men. Oh, like the a, first movie that you released second. Okay, gotcha. Yes, yeah. yes. It's like a mockumentary about youth pastors and it's on Peacock. And in the past three quarters, it's like it's made well over six figures. It's just wild it's amazing. money for it. And a lot of that is just from like, you know, a great group of people working on it. But that movie we made just like no one knew what we were doing, right? Like I was like taping a laugh to like people's chest hair and like then apologizing when I'd rip it off. And we just, it was fun. It was like fun. We just turn a camera over there. We're going to go film a scene and it worked really well for that style of movie. So yeah. some of those people made my, which I co-directed that movie. I can't take full credit is um, my co-director, Ariel Samino. We made the first two movies together and we pulled a lot of the same cast, a lot of the same crew to the second movie. And then I think at the second movie, we burned people out too much because mm. it was like all night shoots for like no money again. And it was like 25 nights and we had like 40 extras at times and people were like so gracious and probably hate my guts now for being on that movie. But it was like a great learning lesson. We upped the scale a tiny bit. And then this one was like the first time I used mostly a crew I've never met before, minus a few people. Mm. And it was great. It was different. It was great in some ways and then not great in other ways because you there's a comfort level with the other movies with your friends where you feel like you trust each other wholeheartedly 
candidly and you don't you don't have that trust when you don't know someone and yeah. that's hard was that by design i mean i know you kind of self-deprecatingly said that you burn people out but i would venture to guess that people didn't reject you you didn't go back to the old team and get nose across the board was it a specific decision to go with a new crew because you felt guilty or were you did you did you really have to move on well most of it was we the first two we filmed in massachusetts and mm. most of the people working on it have other jobs. So yeah. we would do it like if they were a teacher during the summer, they helped make it for both of them. So the majority of people were like teachers or worked in areas that had breaks or professors that have summers off. This one we filmed in the Poconos and we just didn't really have the option to like bring everyone from Massachusetts. So yeah. we had a few people from it, but it was just, it was kind of like a, like a different adventure, I guess. And mm. it worked out though. It was, it was, it was great. I love a lot of the people we worked with. It's awesome. And when we originally met, I feel like you might have pitched yourself mainly as an actor, though I may be misremembering, and I know you write and you direct, but was the original plan to to get creative control of projects to feature yourself more as an actor, or is it always to be this multi-hyphenate, you know, like actor, writer, director, producer situation that you're in right now? I moved to New York out of school to become an actor. And I like struggled like most, but I throughout college, I was making movies and I kind of made movies after I had like a very small role in a movie called The Way Way Back, mm -hmm. like out of college. And I got to know the producers a little bit. And it was just like a really fun experience being on set. And I loved the entire experience just watching it happen. So I've, I've fallen in love with the process like over and over every single time I make a movie. But in reality, I love acting. It's like one of my favorite things to do. I was on a podcast somewhat recently where someone's like, do you just like turn down other roles? I was like, no, I've never gotten another offer. <laughs> like no one's ever been like, Jeff, come be in my movie. So yeah, I was just like laughing about the fact that I've never really had the opportunity to be in other people's thing, which is not a bad thing. It's just like I've I give myself work because I don't get other opportunities to do it. And mm -hmm. I love acting. So I also love acting and directing because you can be so comfortable with the crew that you feel so comfortable like trying weird stuff, like looking so disgusting and like ugly. And on my second movie, our AC would like put up like a piece of plastic because I was always like drooling and disgusting and like <laughs> she just always got spit on and stuff. I like I love the fact that like I can, you know, know everyone and, and be free to try stuff. And I like other people feeling free to try stuff too. I think it's more fun. I think there's a completely other perspective of someone feeling like that they're exposing themselves in two to three different ways and that it's much scarier to be the actor, director, and writer. Does that ever enter your mind? Yes. I mean, like I I have like enormous imposter syndrome. So I'm always fearful of being like a fraud. <laughs> on any set or any anytime I do anything. It's probably why I sucked as an actor, like a straight actor, because I just auditions would cripple me and mm. I would kill my like own confidence right before I got in the room. So I yeah, it does it does stress me out sometimes, but it only really stresses me out when it's like I guess the thing that stresses me out the most on set when you're doing both is someone being asked questions by everyone and then also trying to like get your head in the space to perform yes. in, in certain scenes. And Honestly, like I, 
I can't complain too much though, because I've had such great people around me to deal with those questions and kind of like help let me have time if I needed time. And that's like mm -hmm. a really, that's a gift that I can't take credit for, like being like skilled. It's just having friends around me who are great. Not to ping pong, but like different things are kind of pulling at me in this, in this conversation. And I never get to like have someone to myself. It's always like Ulrich jumps in and then I have to aggressively think of another question. Anyway, so um, now I'm just that like, stays. that stays Jeff editor Jeff for the podcast. I would say many filmmakers, they make their first feature and I'll, I'll go back to the one that was released first. They make a, they release their first feature and they're not made whole and they don't have the resources to make a second one. And they certainly wouldn't dream. I mean, they would dream, but the third one would be a very difficult hill to climb, right? Because we just kind of get bogged down in debt and lack of resources because of the many different problems in this industry that we're fighting right now. Yes. So can you talk, I know this is a macro question, but releasing your first film and then your second film, are you in the black? Like, how are you able to jump from project to project? Are, are other things feeding your pocketbook in order to fuel these films? Or are they made so with such low budgets? that you've kind of hacked the system. And can you talk about that in some way? Yeah, I don't, I can't say I've like hacked the system. I feel like I've gotten very lucky with, I'm not making enough on movies to be like living a life and doing that. Like I have so far, the other movie just came out. So it's not at this point yet, but it's starting to make its money back. But the first two have, and that's honestly just like an, a testament to making them very cheap but then also just not getting screwed for like my dumb brain signing with like a bad company it's just been fortunate that i've worked with people who are honest and don't have huge marketing budgets that they spend on behalf of your movie and then you never see a dollar of it and yeah. i haven't gotten an mg for any of my movies and i don't blame people for taking an mg but i also don't blame people for not because i've if you can trust the process and not need that money immediately for debt or something i think it's sometimes better it's not not fair to the filmmaker, but it is better because like my my first movie that I released second, you know, three years after its release on Peacock is making a ton of money. And that's I wouldn't ever I wouldn't have ever expected that. But that's to me, that's been really eye opening for the future of people's movies, because you have to trust that, like, over time, your audience might find your movie and you can kind of have a faith that that's going to happen. But obviously, there's like the more money you spend and the more money you pull from other people to make your movie, you have a burden to them to make their money back. And I I think that comes with you being transparent upfront with what it's like to get involved with movies. But I would say like, yeah, I mean, I do freelance other things. I, I like hate myself for saying this or admitting this, but I like, I spent like six years in New York modeling while doing this and horrible, horrible industry. Truly that needs a union. Um, the stories I have from that are truly God awful and disgusting. And I actually have a movie called pretty boy about it, which is basically whiplash, but for a male model who just like goes through like tons of abuse and mm -hmm. all true stories, but mm -hmm. it's also very funny in like a dark way. Anyway, the, yeah, so I, I I've done that. And then I also do freelance lighting, editing, you know, videos, doing anything. And but yeah, I've, I've like, now it feels like I'm starting to make like a decent amount of money on the movies that I've put out, which is decent, like with, you know, parentheses around it. No, I um, mean, even if you, had a 5k budget for you to say that your whole on your first two features is a huge deal i mean yeah. it's a huge deal can i know you went with desk pop for youth men who was the first that's distributed your work with 
for Mass Hysteria, my second movie, we distributed through Horror Collective, which is through Shikhead Berenson. And mm. he had done, he's also my distributor for Mean Spirited. And Shikhead's great. I, you know, for Mass Hysteria, we didn't really know what to do because COVID like just hit. And Kay Lynch, who runs Salem Horror Fest, put on the movie on like a Facebook Live thing. And Kay was a producer on that movie. And we got approached by Horror Collective and they put it out and it got on Shutter like quickly, which was like our whole Amazing. initial like goal. In fact, we like wrote to them all the time like you know shutter we'll give you our movie for free and then they eventually <laughs> paid for it which is great because i offered it for free so but yeah those are the two i've worked with so far and then this one this new one i think i'll probably do someone new because it's a very different movie and i don't think it's like the right fit for either place and going back to what you said about low overhead and kind of priming people to what to expect if they're going to work on a low budget film. Do you have any just personal standards or ways of making a movie that you are imparting when you have this conversation? Do you, I mean, if it's a non-union production, do you abide by union standards or what do you do to kind of set the boundaries of safety and expectations for your crew and cast sure yeah i mean i'll be i'll be open about the fact that like i think my first two movies we didn't i know we tried not to do long days and i think we pretty much stuck to like less than like between 10 and 12 hours i don't think we ever did like enormous days mostly because we didn't really have a choice with night shoots in the summer it was like only had like seven or eight hours of light and uh or night (laughs) (laughs) but on this new one i think it was like the first time we we really had to like pay more attention to sag and i don't think we did the best job with it and we got hit with like penalties here and there and that really like hurt us but we we learned a lot from it and you know as a SAG member myself like I've I've not worked enough as a SAG actor to be like here are the rules I know them by heart it's like I work on a lot of indie things and SAG could care less what I did with myself they just you know the rules were always there and I just never really knew them that well luckily we followed them for the most part and haven't gotten in trouble but we yeah I mean like safety wise we've always just tried to keep it to less than 12 hour days no matter what just because I think it was our best thing I mean spirited we did do that minus one day where it was too long and it was dangerous like everyone driving home like I pulled over and fell asleep in my car because I was literally so exhausted and I like hated that we did it and Mm. we just didn't really have a choice too which sucks and it's it's like the challenge of not having money is like we had an abandoned hotel in the movie that we had two days with it and it was like an hour and a half away and we were being kicked out and it was the last time it was like the climax of the movie so it was like oh my god like what do we do like we literally need like one more shot to do it and you know did you get the shot we got the shot but it was stressful and you know yeah well i mean i understand kind of the specifics of safety but also is it Are you writing these scripts with just minimal moves or are you directing with minimal setups or co-directing with very few takes or how do you attribute whether you go over or don't go over how do you attribute just finishing the film with with strapped resources yeah i mean it's always so hard and i so i storyboard everything i have usually always done that on the one i'm doing in a few months i've storyboarded every frame like four months ago and to like a detail level that is like abnormally maybe ocd but i did so because the biggest challenge to me is like not having a plan when i'm also acting in it. And I think that's where it's the challenge for being an actor as well as a director is how do you communicate with your team what the shots are every day? And the more prepared you are, the better you can get through your day because it just helps you move quickly and make a plan for lighting. You can light, oh, we're going to flip the 180 at this point. So let's light this way so that we can relight quicker, you know, halfway through the day and we're not doing a full new setup. Or you can tell another team to start doing something because you know how you're going to film the next sequence of shots. 
and it allows you to be more efficient on your day. And I've also just been fortunate. Like I've never wanted to edit movies, but like I just have because it's cheaper for me to do it. And I like love that I've done that. And every director should like edit something because I can also just tell on set when I need coverage of something and that's not going to work. I can't cut around it. And I can just kind of piece it together in my head already. And on this new one, I'm editing the storyboards to the movie already just to get an idea. (laughs) But then you're going to give your wrist a break. I need my wrist to get a break. Um, (laughs) I do tape it every day. So, you know. I mean, I'm noticing a trend. I mean, I know this film, this third film, Mean Spirited was shot in the Poconos and whatever. I'm from California, so that could be Timbuktu for for all I care. But we're not known for our sense of geography in California. But it's not Boston, right? But I'm noticing this trend of like Boston support or Massachusetts support for you as a filmmaker. Like you mentioned Salem Horror Fest. I know that other work has premiered at Boston's Boston-centric film festivals for you. How pivotal or how you feel free to say how not pivotal that has been has it does Boston the Boston filmmaking community deserve some credit in terms of your growth as a filmmaker yeah 100% I I want it to be New Jersey because I'm like (laughs) from New Jersey I love New Jersey every movie I make is kind of about New Jersey and yet I'm like going to Massachusetts to film because they're friendlier to low budget filmmakers than New Jersey is you have to spend a million dollars to qualify for New Jersey's tax incentive and I've written letters and they refuse to answer me but I Massachusetts has like this indie community that is willing to give time to people who are not experienced. Like I was not experienced for so long. And yet IFF Boston is like the festival that like made me have any sort of career because they've supported me when I was a college student and no like big producer was too cool to talk to me there. And I can't say how like it was the most vital experience for me as like a filmmaker because I felt like I belonged instead of, you know, feeling like New York, which is like, oh, you haven't like done like a Hollywood movie yet. Like you get lost or like, you know, I don't know if it's always like that, but that's how it felt. Like IFP and all those places I emailed, I've applied to all those things, never gotten close to being in any of them. I've never gotten any support from anything in New York. And that's not to say I don't love New York. I love New York to death. It's just, it's like Boston kind of welcomes you with like open arms and the tax credit is awesome. So highly recommend Boston for anyone trying to do indie films. I realized like a minute ago, I'm like, you're not asking any questions about Mean Spirited, but that's kind of what we do. We end up talking about like the whole career and kind of the long view of, of what you're doing. And I'm noticing a trend of ensemble films as well. Is that purposeful? And are you thinking of actors while you're writing? Or is it just that you are drawn to these stories? I have like a group of friends from my like tiny weird high school that have changed my life pretty significantly. And they're all very weird and different. Like none of us would make sense on paper to be friends, yet we are. So I've definitely written a lot of ensembles because of them and just a lot of life experience with them for 20 years or so of being friends with them. And I, the next one is not an ensemble. The first one that is not. And I can't wait. It's because ensemble <laughs> movies suck to make. They're like very fun on in theory and they're the worst to make. So well, just the coverage alone, people. like eyelines alone, right? Oh my gosh. And audio people hate you because they're like, I only have like six channels. And you're like, well, we have seven characters in the scene. He's like, cool. Well, one's not getting a mic. And then, <laughs> you know, you got to figure out who you're not picking for dodgeball. So. I'm excited for you to make your non-ensemble. Let's go back to Mean Spirited. What are your hopes for it? I mean, you're right now... You're a little bit at the precipice, right? What are you thinking is going to happen? What are your hopes and dreams? What is the most realistic outcome also that you think will happen? Yeah, we, so Mean Spirited premiered at 
Fright Fest with like seven other movies about social media influencers. So, <laughs> <laughs> including Sylvia's movie, which is awesome. And Follower, yeah. Follower's great. Loved it. And so many great movies were there. And it was one of the better experiences premiering a festival. And, and then we played a few others. And then we released internationally to like a thousand screens, which is cool. Very cool. And then it it's on like transactional at the moment to buy and rent. But then I think we're going to a streamer in the new year. I think I've heard like rumors. I don't know officially what's happening. But Wait, I guess are you self-distributing to transactional then? Or I thought you said you were going to go with. Oh, OK. I yeah. So our uh, Shaked at the Horror Collective got it. picked it up. And we so after the festival premiere, we planned a date to release it. And then we're basically waiting to premiere and streaming. And then I think we'll go to like the AVOD advertising video yeah. on demand. That's kind of funky, right? Like you have to like take advantage of the windows. Like if you do streaming, if you do AVOD, you can't do streaming. And so you got to take the windows at a time, I guess. Well, and right so now, shut not in the same situation that they were a few years ago when they picked up your first slash second Um, movie yes you know we're open though Shutter, we're open still. I mean, you've got all these apps. Well, you got to start a letter writing campaign to the Shutter board. I know. <laughs> and I'd be like, hey, take it for free, but not this time. <laughs> and you didn't take it for free last time, so why would you? <laughs> but please just take it. Yeah. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I think I would like to move on to the final six questions, if you're okay with that. Do you yeah, feel yeah, okay? Yeah. What's the first film you ever made? You can say that as an actor, as a writer, as a director, as a producer, but the first film you ever made that you feel like it's yours and how do you feel about it now? Hmm. I guess it's kind of a two-part answer. I The first short I ever made that was meaningful to me, I actually didn't direct. I just wrote and produced and acted in it and it's called Nailed It. It's actually, weirdly, before I ever started modeling, it's about a like model who gets abused on a photo shoot and then all of those things happened to me in real life and I was like, okay, oh wow, I wrote my own future. <laughs> But that film, that film opened a lot of doors for like the indie world because I got into a lot of good festivals. I met so many great people and that film allowed me to feel like I was a part of the club and I felt like mm. I could do it again. And that was really important for me. And then I made this other short. I, I know these aren't features, but like, I well, actually, I guess the youth men one, I would say, is like my life on screen because I grew up going to youth group. I thought I wanted to be like a youth pastor at one point. And like, I was like, wow, I'm like way too competitive and a horrible person to ever do that. And we just yeah. wrote that character into the movie. And it's my favorite performance I've ever given because it's just, it was the easiest. It was just like, be this gross person for like, I like loved it. It was, I would just go around to everyone and just mess with them and we would just film it. And it was so fun. And I really care about that movie. That's like a, it's like the movie that really kind of started things off a little bit. Hmm. What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Make features. It was from Joel Petrikas. Shout out Joel Petrikas, who's made some great ones like Buzzard. Hmm. It's Buzzard and Relaxer. 
but he's the one who encouraged me to make youth men and make it for no money. And it's not for everyone. It's really hard to make no money movies, but he just encouraged that you make a feature. It opens different conversations. And I think that's true because I think anyone who's made a feature has like a understanding with the other people who've made features like, wow, this is really hard. And people on set, you know, come for two weeks. It's very hard. I get that that's a very hard job, but then you can go home and do a different project where when it's your movie, it's like for the next two and a half years plus you're doing taxes, you're doing K-1s, you're doing all the stuff to every single person who helped make this movie. I'm writing checks out of my like living room still to people who worked on that movie. And it's a good problem to have, but it's also like, man, I wish someone else would do this. And yeah. But still make features. (laughs) But still make features. (laughs) What's some bad, what is the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received or heard or just some bad advice you know of? I guess maybe it's not always true, but I don't like the idea that like your first feature has this like significant importance. Like you have to be this, like I get it. Like if you want to be like, you know, Robert Eggers and have like an enormous, huge premiere movie, but it's just, it's kind of like a privileged point to be. Not that he's privileged. I'm not saying that. It's just, it's a privilege to make a movie at all. Then to make a movie for seven figures plus for your first movie is like, it's luck or it's like you have access to something that most people don't. So I think I don't like that as advice because it's not accessible to people. Yeah, I love that. Do you have a goal as a storyteller? I do to eventually get an agent and paid in this industry. Oh my gosh, that's one of the questions we usually ask you. So you don't have reps right now. I don't. I've Wait, tried. but as a model, you do. Not anymore. They fired me this year. <laughs> <Jeff. It's> like, <laughs> Yes. It told me I'm too old. I what? tried to get like the salt and pepper, you know, like you, I was like, in a few years, maybe. you're not salt and pepper, no. I'm not yet. But I was like, maybe in a few years, you know, you never know. And they were like, no, sorry, you're done. And So to get reps, your goal is to get reps. Okay. Why is that important get, to you? Why do you want oh, reps? Well, I actually, as time goes on, I like don't want them anymore because I feel like I, I can do their job. And I don't mean to be a jerk. It's just like, I I don't know what they're going to offer me at this point other than like, I just wanted the affirmation that I'm like good enough to be with a good agency because it feels, and I get some stuff like to be totally honest, like a lot of the the background work that happens with a lot of decisions and big premieres and stuff is done by agents. And it's hard to do if you don't have that. So I want that. I don't want the the other stuff that's, you know. Where they take a percentage of the work that you found yourself. Yeah, that and then like, I mean, just like I'm doing this new movie and it's like having bigger actors and I'm having to go through the most backwards channels to get a script in front of an actor, even if I'm making an offer through an agent. It's just like, it's impossible. And actors don't even know that they're getting scripts. It's it's not fair. Yeah, the system's broken, burn it down. Go strike, go sag after strike, go WGA strike. Okay, I'll stop my soapboxing. If you could go back in time, what's the piece of advice you would give yourself? If I can go back in time, I would tell myself that the thing you're striving for is going to continue to move and to enjoy the ride because the goalpost always moves. I think I tell myself that a lot where 10 years ago, I think if I could see myself having done a few features and, you know, trying to get new ones made, like Mm -hmm. I would think I have made it. And then you're in this situation and it's just never enough and it's never really satisfying. It's also like the core theme of every movie I've made is like, this is never enough. Nothing satisfies. And that's just because I so badly want it to and it just doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. you know i would say most people gave give that answer that you just gave by the way oh, really? when we asked that question most people say enjoy the ride success is gonna come things like you know just wait relax like basically taking the burden of expectation off of themselves at an earlier age 
right? Yeah. It's hard though. I mean, like I, I will never fault anyone for having it because it's like also what drives you in some yeah. ways. So you can't really take that away and then still push through this crap. Yeah. So you have to like hope that the the like down the line is better. And then yeah. when you get there, you're like, well, maybe it's like, you know, the next one. But wouldn't it be nice just to enjoy yourself? <laughs> Yes, it would. and <laughs> the people around you who love you would like it a lot more too. Yeah, I, I'm similar in that I can't. Is making movies hard? It's a final question. Is it hard? Maybe the hardest. Yeah, yeah. Truly. Do you? You don't have to elaborate, but yes. Do you want to elaborate? I, I mean, I I will. It is it is top to bottom the hardest thing I've ever done, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's just I think making movies with your friends makes it makes a lot of sense why you make it with your friends because you're you're in the trenches with people for years, and at the end of the day, you want to have fun with the people around you because you spend so much time with each other, and yeah. being able to laugh off all the things that go wrong, and it's just literally a roller coaster ride of things going wrong, <laughs> and the winds are so few and far between, but like when they happen, you're like, yeah, that was awesome. But then you don't enjoy it because we're never satisfied that's true <laughs> but definitely go make features but make your feature how can people best support you how can they best support all all your work well we are always open to sugar daddies and mommies who want to get involved with films I mean, but I think be worried jeff is 33 years old so he doesn't have a lot of life to give you <laughs> if you're just you know like a slower <laughs> pace to your sugar daddy lifestyle then if you have an extra walker nearby. Okay, sorry. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, like, the best way is just kind of watch mo- my movies or anyone's movies, honestly. I think just, like, watching indie films and, and reviewing them positively because hard to make movies, like, yeah. support each other. And I think the best thing I've ever learned with, with this whole thing is just, like, if you could support the friends around you making movies, they will likewise in return. And I think one of the, one of the you know, Liz, you are like this. And Sylvia, who did follow her, is, like, one of the best people at it is... yes. She's a huge supporter of everyone's movies coming out at the same time. And I think that's that's a really powerful thing to have in this world because it's very hard. And so, yeah, I mean, that is it. And then keep a lookout for the movie we're filming in two months. It's called Mooch. And we're casting and finishing all the fun stuff now. But, you know, help us out. <laughs> Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber, back to the show. All right, Arik, since you missed out on my chat with Jeff, I'm just going to tell you about it, I guess. I just, I'm I'm not going to summarize it, but I do want to say that Jeff is such a lovely human being. And I think you did miss out because he's, he's more than willing to be incredibly transparent. You totally understand why people jump on board his projects just by the way he relates and talks to you. He's very kind and... I'm smitten. I'm smitten by him. I just think he's a really cool guy, a good artist to follow, and it's worth a listen. So I'll just I'll nice. tease you with that. Awesome. I can't wait. I uh, I feel bad for missing it because I was really excited to, to hear, to talk to Jeff because his movie looked really cool. But oh, well, I guess I'll just have to listen while I'm holding a baby at 3 a.m., which is my future. <laughs> But what is our present is uh, a segment, Ask the Expert, or You're the Expert, not Ask the Expert, it's You're the Expert. This is a segment that uh, Eric has created where he asks us a question that uh, we will answer, and it's a question that he thinks that we are the, de- that we should know the answer to, that we are, we are the experts on. 
So here is the question for this week. Is there one type of movie that is cheaper to film than any other type of movie? Liz. No, there is no. There's this, this, there's no movie that's cheaper because that's this is a bad question. Eric, I'm giving you a hard time yet again because is there one six like it? Ha- okay, <laughs> you have to count sweat equity, right? I think that what he's asking is if you don't count sweat equity and you just say how do you put together a movie without the markers of the genre that are required, like. I wouldn't say a horror film would be the cheapest thing to make because you have to create ambiance, you have to create character, you have to create tension and dread, and that requires artistry and that requires equipment. You know, yes, you could shoot it at night with natural lighting and not see each other's faces and not be able to, you know, their skinamarink, whatever. But that doesn't mean that you can't do that for a drama where you just shoot at night and you can't see anyone's faces and you have no crew and you don't pay the actors. Like there is no one film that is cheaper to make because you could make a film for zero dollars in any single genre. The question is, why would you want to? You're exploiting the labor and energy of your colleagues. And B, you should be putting time and energy and thought and care into the art you make. I think the core of his question, though, is like, let's say you have a little bit of money saved up. What should you put it into? Like in terms of a low budget film. And then I would say horror. (laughs) Because I think there's just a rabid fan base. I think it's a lot of fun. I think there's some latitude with casting. But but I don't like the question because it encourages people to not spend money, time, energy, sweat equity on their projects. Hmm. Is this me? Is this pregnancy crankiness coming in at Eric? I think, I think so, a little bit. A little yeah. bit, a little bit. A little it's bit. like the tide has turned for me in my day where I've lost all optimism and I'm turning against <laughs> people. Sorry, Eric, uh, you were the victim of my soapbox. Eric, why don't you redeem us a little bit? A mumblecore movie is the cheapest type of movie you can make where it's just two or three people talking in a house or in any location and there's no action sequences of what of any kind. There's no even going outside in lots of cases. It's just, you know, actors in a room talking. I think that's the cheapest, easiest movie you can make. It's also a movie I don't really like to watch very much. So I am not making these movies. Well, that's um, if yeah. you're paying your actor scale, right? And you're not paying for locate. Like everything has a stipulation, though. Well, yeah. I mean, like I'm just thinking, I just always go back to the Gnome Crawl $12,000 movie plan where yeah. you can make a movie for $12,000 and pay everybody. And like that is a totally great plan that he has outlined that you should go check out. Yeah. But I think it only really works for movies like that, for like mumblecore movies or like relationship dramas with like two or three cast members you know or, or a comedy with two or three cast members like it's just it has to be so small in order for it to work and if you try to make anything that's like bigger than that it just it doesn't really work so well you know and I, I've, I've worked on movies that we've had budgets of like forty thousand dollars you know for for a horror movie and it's worked out you know barely but like i think like you know if you but if you really want to go cheap as small as possible like where you're not even spending gnome crawl money or you're spending even less like you could make a movie for very very little money just three people you know you know shooting in a house or out around a house and you could do it for like probably a few thousand dollars for food and for for the pay of the, of of the two people beside you to make the movie and wow. 
But those are not movies I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you don't watch. Yeah. Well, do you one better. If we're really going to take the question seriously, which I should have done to begin with. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> but you won't hear this for weeks, so it'll be bygones by then. <laughs> is it? Is it a documentary, right? Is a yeah. one woman, one man show, personal documentary where it doesn't require travel, where you use archival that you own yourself, that is like home videos, where you're the editor and you're the cinematographer. It's the one person shop yeah. movie. Yeah. And I love those kind of movies, but then you're not taking into account sweat equity, which we should always take into account because the sure. work that the artist puts in is worth something. I will say the one type of movie that fits the, the mold that I'm talking about that I actually enjoyed was Creep. You know, I don't know if you saw that. I haven't but seen like, Creep. But that's like that one that like it's like a horror movie. It was like a three person team. It was like the, the shooter, you know, camera person and then the two actor or the one actor. And then like that was it. Like maybe there was one other actor in the movie, you know, but it was pretty much just Mark Duplass talking to camera for like an hour and a half. Oh, you know, it's and it was Patrick good. Bryce. I should know this movie. Yeah. So that was like the one one movie I actually watched all the way through that I had fun watching that fit this model, you know? But like I think most other movies that fit this model are just, you know, it's not for me. But like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like when you're making a movie, I think that you need to like it doesn't really matter about the cheapest. Like what matters is like what you care about the most. Like I've seen people so many times and we've had guests on the show so many times who make things because it's either cheap or because they think that it's going to be a good, like popular movie that's going to define them as a director in some certain way or whatever. And those things always fail and always do terribly. It's like when you make things that you care about and that are that you think are awesome, that you love to see, that you watch and that like are movies in that vein of the thing that you're excited about. That's when they're good, you know? And can you do those for less, like not that much money? You can, but like, is it the cheapest? No, but does it matter? No. And then, yeah, but sweat, sweat equity is real too. So like, if you, if you take that into account, then like, it's really hard to say what the cheapest is because someone's going to be spending a hundred, 200, 300, 400 hours on this thing and not getting paid for it. So you know, they're all, they all cost money. They're all, they're all expensive one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> the question is flawed. I did get you back to my side. <laughs> well, okay. Do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? You can always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at making movies is hard.com. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. It's been a while since we've had one of those. I think it would be good to see what people think. Please tell us. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast, YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Check out the International Screenwriters Association, which is an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through the programs they offer. They offer many things. They have consultation courses, contests. They have top writers lists. They publish your log line to industry professionals. Head on over to networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Jeff Ryan for coming on the show. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Rymoot, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for handling all of our social media. And thanks, to, this, these are all dudes, just pointing it out. Thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. Thanks to all of you for listening and talk to y'all next week. These are all dudes. Oh, I'm losing it.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge? It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wall and drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wall and wherever you get your podcasts.